I'm Maggie John, and this is Context Beyond the Headlines, a place for conversations with newsmakers, culture shapers, and peacekeepers, where we explore the intersection between faith, justice, ethics, and society. I had, in the most selfish and with the most really wicked and sinful heart, sacrificed his life on the altar of convenience. Yeah, it was like it never happened to anybody else. Nobody asked me how I felt, how I was doing, physically, emotionally. Uh, Their problem was solved. In June of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the 50-year-old Roe v. Wade decision, which made it legal to obtain an abortion in the U.S. This has many wondering what it could mean for women around the world. While pro-life supporters celebrate the possible end to this controversial practice, the pro-choice side worries about what this could mean for the freedom of women. But what does this mean for those who are on the front lines in pregnancy support? Lois Benham-Smith is the executive director of Atwell Centre, a pregnancy options support centre in Hamilton, Ontario. Welcome, Lois. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah. So tell me, what does Atwell do? Okay. Well, Atwell is a pregnancy care centre and it's located in downtown Hamilton. We've been in operation for over 10 years now, and through that time, we've seen thousands of women and men and students through our various services and programs. Atwell's a little unique among pregnancy care centers because we have specific medical services, and that makes us unique. So we do pregnancy option support. uh, We do post-abortion support, as well as we have a SHARE program, which is our sexual health and relationship education, where we help students and their parents do critical thinking around healthy relationships and sex. So... That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a busy place, but yeah. it's all good. Yeah. So what does pregnancy option support mean? Well, we believe that no woman should have to face an unplanned pregnancy alone, mm-hmm. unexpected pregnancy alone. And so with that in mind, um, we believe, too, that women need support, they need education, they need information in order to make um, uh, informed choice. Mm-hmm. So we want to be that place. And so with that in mind, um, we want to be the, the, a safe place for her to work through all of those options. So she has a lot of voices in her life telling her what she can, she cannot do. Um, you know, and we want to be the place where she can get information and support. We are holistic in our care. We are research, evidence-based, um, and client-led in all of our interactions. In our pregnancy option support itself, um, our clients are met with registered nurses, and we do information. We are holistic in our care, like I said. So we we talk about um, what her some of her fears are, what her her you know what what she's feeling, what what supports she has or doesn't have, um, and you know what that means to her. Um, does she have um, in her holistic care? Does she have a, a spiritual journey or religious affiliation? How does that inform her decision today? as well as information. And this is where our medical piece comes in with our nurses. Um, So women have information they need to know. So in terms of the pregnancy, where is it? Where is the pregnancy? Is it in the fallopian tube or is it in the uterus? Um, They want to know about viability. Is there a heartbeat or is it just elevated hormones? And also gestation. You know, am I six weeks? Am I 16 weeks? Am I 26 weeks? Those are really important pieces of information for women to have. And so our nurses um, are able to do that with their point-of-care ultrasound assessment and um, as well um, 
they also discuss all of those options that go along with that. So what abortion is and what it isn't, our nurses talk about that. What adoption is, what it isn't. What parenting is and what it isn't. And all of the misnomers. All of the there. misnomers. Yeah. And giving just that support, that, um, again, holistic support. What were your thoughts when you heard about the repeal of Roe v. Wade? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, we aren't the U.S. We are Canada. Yeah. So we're very different countries in so many different ways. But, um, of course, you know, what happens to our neighbors in the South does affect us yeah. here in the North. So with all that to say, um, Canada has no law on abortion. We are one of the only countries in the West and in the world that has no restriction on access to abortion. So that's very different than the U.S., um, Abortion is part of our health care in Canada. That's very different than the U.S. So again, we're not in the U.S. And so when people talk about lack of restrictions and lack of, you know, health care here in Canada, it's, that, that's, not our, that's not our issues. However, um, you know, it does affect us in terms of like, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there was a firebombing of a pregnancy care center in Buffalo a week or two ago. And, you know, that is of great concern to me, obviously. Um, and, you know, our government also has uh, one of the planks in the Liberal government platform, and we're not political, but it does, politics do affect us, that, um, you know, they were going to take away our charitable status because we, we're, um, you know, giving disinformation, and which I... I don't agree be with because we have all of our of our um, services are performed by uh, registered professionals. Um, but again, you know, now with this, it's reignited the passion that the government had had on this issue yeah. um, once again. So yeah, it's you know, those are the. Th so, but do things. you worry? Do you worry running a pregnancy support center and hearing again? You know, if there's an itch in the U.S., we're scratching the itch, right? Like we were so close. And so when you hear of news of, of possible repealing of this 50-year-old law, does that, does that concern your day-to-day -day operation as a pregnancy support center? No. Okay. Uh, it really doesn't because we're going to do the work that we do because we're, you know, we're led to do that. And, you know, it's, we believe that women need, and men need support, um, you know, in an unexpected pregnancy. And we want to be there, regardless of what happens in the U.S. and regardless of what politics are involved. You know, we just, you know, we, we just go about our business and, and offer these services, which are all, you know, free and uh, best practice. Right. You know, research. Providing all of the information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and then should she, you know, decide to continue with her pregnancy, we offer ongoing um, support. We have our baby boutique, which is gently used maternity clothes as well as children's clothes size zero to two. Um, and our clients can come in monthly for diapers and wipes and clothing and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, so we want to be there for her after if she's decided to continue with her pregnancy. Should she decide to terminate her pregnancy, um, we're still there. And she has issues with that um, because we recognize that um, some women and men have issues with um, a decision that they might have made to terminate, to abort a, a pregnancy, um, whether that's, you know, yesterday or five years from now, five, five, you know, five months from now or decades ago, you know, and we see women and men, um, you know, coming to um, some resolution on those, those things. Yeah. Um, 
How or what do you see when families step in the door requesting an abortion? What kind of conversation are they entering into when they step into Atwell? Well, if they're coming for an abortion, the first thing we say is we're not an abortion clinic. So there's no bait and switch with us at all. Like, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. Um, so we don't refer for abortion because you don't need a referral. It's a self-referral. So it's more about, you know, if you need some support, some information in order to make a decision. So it's all about informed decision making. And, and um, we're here for you. Um, you want, you know, those, those sorts of things. So, yeah, so it's not we don't um, advertise that we're abortion clinics and then say, no, actually, we're not abortion clinics at all. Right. It's, um, we're very clear on our website. We're very clear in our um, introduction to what we do. And so if a family, um, you know, a, a woman comes in and, and says, I just don't even want information about an abortion, what is that conversation like as you present the different options to, well, uh, you know, to a person with an unplanned pregnancy? Yeah. So um, our, our nurses, again, um, take them and we have a counseling room there and we talk about all the options and understanding what Abortion is what it isn't. Again, <laughs> what parenting is, what adoption is, and it and isn't. And then knowing more about your pregnancy. I mean, to make those decisions. And then again, the holistic piece of, you know, what are the things in your life that are a challenge, and what are your strengths? How can we work around those things? How can you see what is your heart's desire? What is you know, what what's this decision going to look like for you? Big picture you know, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, you know, right now it's pre- feels pretty intense, but big picture, what, you know, and those sorts of things. So if you're having like food security is a problem, that's a big problem. So we want to, we do a lot of referrals. So um, here's the food bank, here's soup kitchens, um, finance are a problem. Uh, we have referral to, you know, either debt counseling or, you know, we don't have a place to live. Well, let's look, let's see what's available those sorts of things. So again, holistic, holistic care. Yeah. Um, and then too, like, um, you know, if you have a faith background or a religious affiliation, how does that work into your decision making too? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, again, that's holistic care. Yeah. What's one part of this whole debate, you know, as it rose to the surface earlier this year that isn't being discussed? You know, you're, you're in this work day in and day out. Uh, what's an aspect of this conversation that you feel the media is not covering or isn't being discussed? I would say the challenge right now is a polarity. Hmm. Like there's a real polarity in thought and understanding about abortion, about women that have abortions and my body, my choice. But it's also, you know, it's a lot more nuanced than that, of course. But also understanding that there's a woman or a couple involved that are really struggling with this. And what can we do to help? How can we... Um, you know, give you information, give you support, and so that you're going to make a decision that long-term is good for you, right? And there's also um, the other piece I think that is missing is um, by the time a woman is 45, statistically one in four women will have had an abortion in their life. So anytime I'm speaking to any group of women or in a, in a, any kind of setting, understanding that whether it's in my church, whether it's in my family, my friends, my colleagues, there's going to be someone that will have had an abortion. And, um, and that might be something that they are struggling with. So, you know, this, these are real-time, real issues for, for women and men. And just to, to realize that, um, you know, there is hope. 
there is healing, that no matter what, God loves you. And the church loves you too. Thanks so much, Lois, for joining us today. Thank you. So what happens after a woman has an abortion? For some, there comes a sense of relief that it's over. But for others, post-abortion stress sets in. For Jennifer Burley, that was her story. And she joins me now. Thanks for joining me today, Jennifer. Thanks for inviting me. So Jennifer, you were in high school uh, in your first serious relationship when you found out that you were pregnant. What happened? Um, We were high school sweethearts. We were just uh, getting ready to finish grade 12. And uh, just towards the end of our grade 12 year, I found out I was pregnant. And my first reaction was joy because I thought I loved him and I thought he loved me. But my parents' reaction was uh, devastating. They were like, this is the worst thing that can happen. Uh, My worst nightmare come true was what my my mother was saying. And the boyfriend, of course, didn't seem very thrilled either. So I was kind of alone with my little blip of joy there. Hmm. And the day you eventually had... An abortion. Tell us about how how that happened. You were basically told by your parents. Yeah, it was actually my father. He um, he made the decision. It had nothing to do with me, my boyfriend, my mother. Even my boyfriend's mother was concerned about you know her son's future, his university, his career. But my dad just said abortion, mm-hmm. and that's the end of it. So because we had to keep it quiet in the family. Uh, my mother dropped me off at the hospital early in the morning, and my father picked me up at the end of the day. And because I was 18, and I remember signing the papers, I took full responsibility for it, but my heart was in my throat. I really didn't want to do it. Tell us about that experience. Well, um, as clear as day, I can remember the operating room. It was very cold, and the nurses were bustling about doing what had to be done before I was put out. And I looked to one of the nurses and I just said, it'll be over soon, right? But what I wanted to say was, please tell me there's another way. And uh, they put me out and it just seemed like moments later I was awake and lying in a room feeling empty. And I remained in that hospital bed all day until my father finished work at five to come pick me up. So I had a lot of time to think about what I had done and wondering about the other women around me, did they know what I had just done, or had they done the same thing? Alone. Alone. Yeah, no no boyfriend there, no mom, no dad. Um, this was a decision that really that affected all of us. And unfortunately, to this day, the, the other mother involved, that was her only grandchild. Uh, she had two sons, and one uh, was tragically killed in a car accident, And although my ex-boyfriend went on to marry, never had children um, of his own. So that's very sad to me. That's a whole generation gone. You say that everyone felt better but you. Yeah, it was like it never happened to anybody else. Nobody asked me how I felt, how I was doing, physically, emotionally. Uh, Their problem was solved. And this is something I continue to struggle with. And there was evidence of that post-traumatic stress even just a year later when I um, tried to take my own life. Um, The relationship had fallen apart, as many relationships do when there's an abortion involved. And I I just, uh, I felt so hopeless. 
Tell us about that, because you don't always hear that story of how people can spiral out of control after an abortion. You're 19, you try to take your life, um, you try to reach out to your best friend, she's not available, she's at work, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you end up ODing. Yeah, this was the hardest day of my life. Um, I had uh, gotten drunk, I had, uh, this was actually March the following year, 1991, and I had tried to walk into Lake Ontario to try and drown myself. Uh, the ex-boyfriend was around. He was ashamed. He yelled at me, gave me some clean clothes, sent me home. I phoned my, my girlfriend. I said, look, this is what I've done. You know, I'm a mess. She said, well, I'm at work. What could I do? And I got home, and I was obviously a mess. And I said to my mother, look, I'm very upset. I'm not hungry for dinner. Um, please don't wake me till the morning. So... I knew what I wanted to do, and I, I went up, went into my bathroom, and took um, a Tylenol and Advil, any, any available drug I could find, and, uh, and then went to my room and closed the door. And the thing is about my mom, she's a very caring, warm, kind person. And it, as I lay there thinking, I thought, no, I, I can't do this to her. I can't let her find me in the morning. So I, uh, I told her what I had done, and she called poison control. My dad came home at that time. And my dad's the one that's like, let's not let anybody know what's happening. We don't want people to talk. And um, Because he said, well, I guess we better go to the hospital. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. And he said, well, don't want to have to call an ambulance because then the neighbors will see. So off I went to the hospital. Uh, no boyfriend and girlfriend's working. So at about 8 o'clock that evening, um, I... My dad hadn't had dinner since he came home from work, so he says, we're going to go home for a while. We'll come back for you later. So there's Jen by herself trying to get charcoal down her throat to take all these toxins out. And it was really my rock bottom. It doesn't get lonelier than that um, when nobody you love or care about is there. And uh, more, I went through more of a... uh, more trauma after about five years after that. It was still um, still spiraling. So the, the following five years were just trying to suppress that pain and not processing it at all. Yeah. You've gone through a lot in your life. We can't go through everything, Jen, but being raped as well and uh, getting pregnant as well and, and determining that, no, you're not going to abort that child. When did you realize that these were all symptoms of post-abortion? This was all based on... Losing your first baby. Well, I was 23, and this is, again, where I came to a crossroads, where I was just, there was just so much pain there. I remember lying on my bedroom floor, crying and writhing in pain. And I I almost sensed the Lord saying to me, just come to me. I will forgive you. Give it to me. And I rejected him. I didn't want forgiveness. I felt I deserved wrath. I deserved all the pain I was feeling. And um, it was one of the most difficult times in my life. Uh, But when I got pregnant for the second time, I knew that I didn't want to have an abortion again. And even though my father said abortion, um, I said, no, not this time. And unfortunately, this time I was involved with an abusive man who I didn't want to be with, and I didn't want to continue the relationship. So I had even greater concerns. I was concerned for my safety, to be honest with you. 
And I thought, well, if I have this child, I'll never be rid of him. But I knew abortion wasn't an option based on my experience. So I sought out a pregnancy care center in Markham, and they helped me to look at what parenting might look like, what adoption might look like. And that was that pregnancy was kind of the beginning of the road to recovery for me because um, I chose to parent that child and I had to get myself healthy. Um, it was actually about a year after she was born that it was came to a head and they said, okay, you need to get healthy. Um, you need to get on meds for antidepression, you need to get therapy, and that's what I did. And it took took at least a year of medication and therapy um, until I leveled out, let's say. Mm. What, what is one aspect of having an abortion that people, specifically women, don't understand about the residual, the collateral damage that can impact you? Because did you, did you know that you could suffer you know, through depression and all of these things could happen? I mean, many times when we hear about abortion, it's, it's this procedure that you have get rid of an, you know, an unplanned pregnancy, and then you move on with your life and everybody's happy. That's all you're ever told. Right. And so what, what don't maybe people understand about just the collateral damage that can, can come from that? There's actually a lot of physical complications that can come with abortion that most people don't realize. Um, depending on the procedure and how she reacts, you may not be able to have kids again. So you think, well, I'm too young now. My career is just taking off. You know, I'll have kids later. Well, you may not have that option because of the surgeries um, and the scarring. as well? Oh, definitely emotionally. Um, and that, again, that's why even when my daughter was born, um, I still was not in a healthy place. To be perfectly honest with you, I had to have children's aid step in and say, get healthy um, and, and deal with your stuff. And I found an amazing counselor in Toronto and she... I, like I said, I, I mean, I needed prescription drugs to help me through that depression. And I went for weekly counseling. And it may be a better mother, but a, a better woman too. And uh, I don't know where I'd be today without that intervention. Hmm. You also say Jesus has played a big role in your healing and realizing that while others weren't there, that Jesus was. Absolutely. So I believe with all my heart, that night when I was 19 in the ER alone in that room, I believe he was there with me the whole time. And I believe he spared me from the, all the alcohol and drugs that I took um, because he loved me and he had a plan for my life. And when I was 23, writhing on my, my uh, bedroom floor, I, he was there with open arms trying to love me and woo me to himself. And I didn't want his love. I didn't want his forgiveness. But when I opened up that door... And I let him in, and I let him forgive me. I could start to forgive myself. Um, I can't tell you about that kind of love um, and how he filled my heart and made me whole and restored me. That is, is just, to me, that's the most amazing thing because I went from being a complete wretch, unable to function and unable to even be a mother properly. Uh, but... He restored me. He restored my soul. Post-abortion stress doesn't just exist for women. Some men exhibit the effects of loss and grief as well after an abortion. Randy Lowe is here to share his story. 
Thanks for joining me today, Randy. And thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah. So, Randy, you were 24 when you found out that your new wife was pregnant, an unplanned pregnancy. You both decided to abort the baby. Tell us the story. Well, the story was we were very young and very naive, and we had it all figured out. And We all a, do at 24, right? Of course. <laughs> and having a baby uh, right after our honeymoon just wasn't in the, in the plans, wasn't in the cards. Um, we were also um, unsaved. That is, we, we had no saving faith in Jesus. Faith wasn't a part of our lives. And so it was really a, a kind of a quick and um, expedited decision. Mm. My wife, being a nurse had sort of inside access, and yeah, it, it just unfolded in a, in a very procedural way without a lot of emotional involvement. What was the conversation like when you found out that your wife was expecting? and Between us, our yeah. conversation? Yeah. It's hard for me to recall it was that many years ago, and I really struggled through my own journey trying to recall, even praying to remember more. But I think we landed on a conclusion that I believe I likely led in terms of persuasive force within our young marriage to um, forego the pregnancy and was encouraged to think of it like a DNC, common hospital procedure, incidental nothing really worthy of any concern. And so there was a great emotional detachment on my part. When did the emotional attachment happen? When did you realize that, wait a minute, there is some collateral damage here in our family, both your wife and yourself just wrestling through that decision? Only quite recently, mm. yeah, just a couple of years ago, yeah. when um, my wife became uh, actively involved with, uh, with Atwell, actually, and she encountered her own abortion story and went through a post-abortion recovery program. And so how did you then reconcile with sure. your side of the story? Yeah, and ironically, I, I actually resisted her participation in that program, thinking that perhaps it was going to be painful and difficult and open up old wounds, and I was not cheering her on at the outset. Watching her journey of healing revealed to me unmistakably the value of that process. And uh, in short order, I think within about a year or so, I was asked if, if I would be interested and, and I, I had to ask if I could go through the very same program, the post-abortion recovery program. What was that like, Randy, facing those decisions? It was everything it was advertised to be, which is... Um, heavy lifting. It was difficult, at times painful, hence um, some reticence about jumping in and doing that. But I'd seen firsthand the evidence of what my wife had gained, and I really wanted what she had. And, and my faith led me there as well. Mm. I mean, I recognized that this was not a decision she made in isolation. We made this decision as a couple. Yeah. And looking through a different lens, as, um, as a child of God, as a Christ follower, I, I had to really um, seek to, to grieve well, and that's what the program 
sort of promises that there'll be the ability to grieve well. I'd never grieved at all, quite frankly. Do you think men in that in the situation of being with a woman that's going to have an abortion are given the permission to grieve, are given permission to process through their emotions? I think as, as a man, I think I can say confidently we're very skilled at avoidance mm -hmm. and compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. And so the faster I could put that abortion experience behind me and, and you know, cover it up and not look back again, no sooner had I done that. So is there opportunity? I suppose if you had a support network, we didn't confide in anyone, mm -hmm. our decision. It was just the two of us. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of, of sort of kinetic forces that lead us, lead, led me to just deny and move on. Yeah. Facing it, you wrote a letter to your unborn son. You named him Michael. Tell yes. us a little bit about that letter and what you wanted him oh, wow. to know. Yes, and, and the letter is something that, it's an invitation. It's not a requirement as part of the post-abortion support. And the name was sort of given to my wife mm. as part of her journey through prayer. So I was happy to accept that, A, that it was a boy, B, that this boy had a name. So really, yeah, just pouring out my heart for what I would want to say to him now, yeah. a confession that I had in the most selfish and with the most really wicked and sinful heart sacrificed his life on the altar of convenience. Mm. And I had to face up to that fact and that knowledge. So confessing that and recognizing that by God's grace, not only am I forgiven and rescued and redeemed, but that this short experience of my pain is but, you know, uh, a puff of smoke compared to the eternal glory. And that, in fact, we will be reunited together very soon, sooner than we'd probably like to imagine. Yeah. What do you want men to know that are walking with spouse, partner, um, through an abortion, just the emotional baggage that men also carry through this process? It's a great question. And I think I would encourage every man who's been part of an abortion to take the time to recognize their, their role, whether they are a Christian or not, to... Uh, take the time to unpack that, to allow themselves the opportunity to grieve, to bring it to the cross if they know the Lord, and to, um, yeah, per give themselves permission to, to heal, even though that is a daunting and at times a very scary thought. It's, it's absolutely so good when you come out the other end, and I'm, I'm a living example of that. All right, it's now time for our So What segment. Essentially, why we did this particular topic. I'm joined by Hannah Vanderkoy, our senior producer. Hey, Hannah. Hey. What were your thoughts of our conversation with Lois, Jennifer, and Randy? 
It's a perspective you don't hear very often. Mm-hmm. Often um, in the abortion, and the it, it ends up being about pro-choice, especially you know with the news of Roe v. Wade. And what I really liked is just talking about, you know, this is a big decision and not taking it lightly either way. Mm-hmm. Lois said, you know, some of the economic burdens and, and talking through that with someone who might not um, have anyone to talk to about that. I think that's um, that's really important. And, and as well, Jen saying that it, emotionally and physically, it's not something to be taken lightly. And even from Randy's perspective, like a male perspective, we don't often hear from. Yeah, I really appreciate the holistic conversation because I think many times it's like, you know, oh, I want to get this done, be it abortion or whatever your decision is, right? You're just looking at the immediate and not thinking about all of the outside elements that are causing you to make that decision. And so slowing down and saying, okay, you know, what is your economic situation like? What is your home life like? And then allowing somebody to make that decision, not closing the door on, you know, the many different options someone could have if they're in an unplanned uh, pregnancy. I also really appreciated Randy's candor, and you could tell he was holding back the emotion. But being a man who, as he said, probably was very complicit in, you know, making that decision, um, his wife ending their their uh, their pregnancy um, and then seeking healing that that takes a really strong man to just face those demons mm-hmm. even admitting that you're broken yeah from that yeah and I think also his perspective uh, shows I think a lot of men they don't want to speak up mm-hmm. or they do think yeah this is the easier option let's do that as long as you're okay with it they don't think that they can have an opinion necessarily. And I think he really shows this does impact both parties. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, and that was that one question. Do you feel that you have permission to exhibit feelings Mm -hmm. as a man? Um, Again, yeah, we don't hear this side of the conversation very much, which shows us that society would say, no, you know, this is the woman's body, and rightfully so. We're two women. You're pregnant. We, we've both been pregnant. We know it is our body, but it's, sometimes it's, it is a collective decision. Sometimes you are pressured into it. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that the other person, your partner, doesn't go through emotional um, effects of that, depression, all of those things as well. Mm-hmm. And just another, one last thing. I, I think also both Jennifer and Randy being so um, open to talking about their stories Mm -hmm. and the complexities of each. Because I have to be honest, I don't think I would suspect either of their stories necessarily to be the norm. Yeah. Um, Like Jennifer, you know, her parents basically saying, well, this is what you're doing. Yeah. And not giving her a choice. And Randy just being married. Like you just... So just putting a putting a face really to who who's getting abortions, and then that way we can address some of the the more holistic things around it. Yeah, so good. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for listening to Context Beyond the Headlines podcast. Big thank you to our guests today, Randy Lowe, Jennifer Burley, and Lois Benham Smith. Context Beyond the Headlines is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications. It is executive produced by Melissa McEachran. Produced by Hannah Vanderkoy, edited by Kyle Smistra, and hosted by me, Maggie John. <laughs>